All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Welcome to another episode of Dropping the Gloves here. Thank you for joining us. Tim's here. Tim, how are you? I'm here. Big night last night, John. How are you? You know, you you talk about disappointments. Oh, come on. You talk about letdowns. I had one this morning and I had one last night. It kind of goes hand in hand. I was driving into work and I passed by my old house that we sold a few years back every time I drive in. And there's always that tinge of like, I want to drive by, you know? See, see how it's going. And I never do it because you, you're not supposed to look back. You're not supposed to relive, you know, old times, people say. But I did it this time. I, I had my daughter with me, Ava, my oldest. So I'm like, let's go check it out. And we drove by. And it was disappointing. They They have not kept up the yard. They have let everything just be overgrown. And just, it looks ugly. And I have spent hours and hours and hours and hours on my yard. I, I take pride in that. I did. I'm mowing my grass, planting flowers, pulling weeds, placing mulch, planting new flowers, moving trees. Hours. Ava can attest to this. Like hundreds of hours over the years. And I drive by this morning and it's just overgrown. They don't even mow the grass. There's weeds everywhere. It just looked ugly. And I'm just like, what are we doing here? I spent so much time and energy and they just let it go to junk. And it was disappointing. I drove out and I just kept saying, it's, it's unfortunate. It's disappointing. And that's how I feel about the Stanley cup finals, Tim. I invested so much time in these two teams. I wanted it to be great. I wanted it to be a game seven barn burner, you know, going back and forth, the slug fest, just an enjoyable series. And it hasn't been that way. It's been game after game, letdown after letdown of just, Bad hockey. Game one, five to two. Golden Knights win. They dominated. Game two, Golden Knights win seven to two. A complete shellacking. Game three, the Panthers showed up. Finally, three two overtime win. That was an enjoyable game. Game four, the Panthers score a late one to make it interesting, but it was the Knights game. It was three to two for the Knights. And then finally, game five, nine to three. Another just. Exciting game because you you mentioned it, Tim, when we were talking before the show. It was fun because they're in Vegas. They're scoring at will, and the crowd was in it. Everybody was excited for the post-game celebrations. This is their first cup. That's exciting. 
But as a hockey fan watching this game, it wasn't enjoyable. It was seven to one, Tim. Midway through the second period, seven to one. That's not a fun game. That's not an enjoyable game as a, as a just a fan of the game. So I just, you know, I, I tried my best to turn it off. Or sorry, it was 7-1 at the start of the third. It was 6-1 midway through the second. You know, you want to turn it off, but it's a Stanley Cup. They're going to award it. It's always exciting. Lots of first-timers there. Lots of good storylines with Vegas. But at some point, you just say, come on, you guys. Like, it's just disappointing. And I, and I don't want to be a Debbie Downer on, you know, a Stanley Cup championships. But But it's just like... We deserve a good Stanley Cup Finals. We haven't had one since St. Louis, Boston, years ago when St. Louis went on that incredible run. And it was Game 7 barn burner. And it, it was just an incredible Stanley Cup playoffs, right? That was that was a great Stanley Cup Finals. Since then, we've just had Tampa Bay, Dallas, Tampa Bay, Montreal, Colorado, Tampa Bay, and now Vegas, Florida. Kind of stinkers in the Stanley Cup finals. And I just I just missed the early days of the early 2000s where it was just fantastic series after fantastic series, game 7s, overtimes in game 7. You got the lightning and flames and hurricanes and when the Oilers went on that incredible run, hurricanes win it. You got the Penguins and the Red Wings, you got the Bruins and the Canucks. You know, even going back to Avalanche Devils and going back even further than that. When you're, you're you're getting back into the, you know, the battles between Colorado, Detroit, it's just I, I feel like the playoffs the last few years have been a huge letdown and it's depressing. Other than the first rounds, the first rounds are incredible. Second, third and finals are just always like ugh. I leave the dinner table. And I'm like, that wasn't that great. I expected more. You know what I mean? I go to this fancy restaurant. I want to be wowed. And I'm like, I'm still hungry. And what did I do here? That's what, that's how I feel. Do you, do you have the same feelings or am I just like a, a Debbie downer today? A little bit. You are a little bit of a downer. I enjoyed the game. I watched the whole thing. <laughs> I um like, yes, it wasn't a great hockey game objectively, but it was still very entertaining. Like the crowd was going nuts. The players were basically like when you, <laughs> when the Vegas shot it, you expected it to go in and they had a couple of goals where they were just like, it was like they were on the power play for like a minute. And then finally they buried like the Riley Smith one. And so um, it was still very entertaining, but I, I see your point in it. And I wonder like, is there a solution? Like, how would you address that? Or is it just, does it just shake that way naturally? Or is there a way to like, I don't know, restructure the playoff format so this sort of thing doesn't happen or what? Well, it seems like uh, the first rounds are the most exciting round. And usually typically that wasn't, wasn't the case 25 years ago where the first rounds were just the good teams are going to sweep and we're going to move on. Then we're going to have the heavyweights go head to head. Now it seems like all the great matchups are in the first round. When you look at this year's matchups, it was Boston, Florida. Fantastic. Toronto, Tampa Bay. Fantastic. New Jersey, New York. It was great. Even New York Islanders, Carolina. That was exciting. Then you go out West Edmonton, LA was exciting. Dallas, Minnesota was exciting. And the Seattle upsetting the avalanche was super exciting. Out of the eight series, I feel like six of them were legit exciting series that I wanted to watch every single night. And then you move to the second round, and it's just like it gets worse and worse and worse, Tim. The buildup to Toronto and Florida was there. Florida wins 4-1. to one. Carolina, New Jersey, nobody really cared about that series. New Jersey, everybody wanted them to win. Carolina smokes them 4-1. to one. 
the big buildup for the Oilers. This is their year. They play Vegas. Vegas walks right through them four to two. And then Seattle is the only team that gave anybody any kind of trouble, but they lose to Dallas four to three. And who really wanted to watch Seattle and Dallas in the second round? with the other three series and the the potential we had there with the superstars. And it just continued into the Western Eastern conference finals, Vegas over Dallas. Vegas was up three rip. It was over before it even got to four, like three to two. They win. And then Florida sweeps Carolina. It's just, and then four to one in the Stanley cup finals. It just kept getting worse and worse and worse. There was no excitement post first round in my eyes. What was your best series? I know you want to go into the storylines with Vegas and this and that and how great it was. I am still upset. What was your best series, Tim, of the whole Stanley Cup championships, 2023? Which series did you enjoy the most? Um, <clears throat> New York, New Jersey was pretty good. That won seven. That was kind of like the younger group beating the older guys. That was pretty cool. Um. None of them really stand out. Seattle Avalanche, that was such a such a surprise and the way that Seattle like just totally flipped that one. Um I don't know. Like, yeah, none of them really stand the out. The fact that me. you can't say Florida Boston is astounding. You, That's hand you, down the best series in the playoffs. Did I enjoy it though? <clears throat> it was enjoyable no. to watch. You can't <sighs> remove yourself. You need to be bipartisan in these in this talks. You are a professional hockey broadcaster. You can't have a dog in the race, a pony in the race. You, you asked me what were my most enjoyable series, and that one. And you're was not being honest. The Bruins, Florida was fantastic. Boston goes up three to one. They have a chance to win it in Game Five. Marshawn gets stoned by Bobrovsky, and Florida systematically comes back and wins four to three. Multiple overtime games. It was a fantastic series. John Vegas won the Stanley Cup last night. Why are we talking about Brad? Who cares? Who, honestly, who cares? <laughs> I don't. Yay, yes. they won the cup. All right, let's that's that's my take on it. Yes, it was a great night last night, but it was you know, everybody knew it was going to happen. Yeah. I I well, wanted you. it to be better. I picked Vegas. You picked Florida win last night. I know. Did you hear what I said? I had an asterisk. I said if Florida gets a power play goal, they will win. Did they get a power play goal? They did not. In fact, they got scored on on their power play. So they even twisted the knife a little more in my back. They said, oh, you want a power play goal, John? Guess what? We're going to get one power play and we're going to give up a goal. How do you like them apples? That was, um, that was the first goal, right? Mark Stone. What patience. That was great. It was after that goal, you could tell Florida was playing as best as they could. You know, they were missing Matthew Kachuk. All the injuries came out. Aaron Eckblad was playing basically. He's dead. And he's still out there playing. Matthew could chuck at a broken sternum. He scored a, like the guy was an animal scores a game winner with a broken sternum in game three or something. Maybe not game three. I'm getting mixed up, but he was very, very hurt. He didn't play. They were overmatched. Mark Stone gets the shorthanded goal and you could just tell Vegas is like, this is our game. They got on their toes. They ran over the Florida Panthers for the rest of the game. It wasn't even close. You get Nicholas Hag, you get Martinez, Smith, Stone, Amadio, Barbashev. Everything was going in. And then to all those people, and this is what I'm hearing today. I'm reading all the articles. Oh, Vegas ran out of gas. Vegas, you know, they just, they, they couldn't maintain their temple. Florida. Why? Florida, excuse me. Ve- Florida ran out of gas. Why? Why? I think they're just making an excuse. And, and it downplays how dominant Vegas was. 
Florida didn't run out of gas. They had multiple two-game breaks, two-day breaks in this series. Multiple. Vegas is a, is a better team. Even if Matthew Kachuk is at full strength, which he was the first two games, you still lose. Right? You still get dominated. You still lose 7-3. to three. You still lose 5-2. to two. That was with Matthew Kachuk at 100%, everybody. And it's not like Vegas is coming in super healthy. Obviously more healthy than the Florida Panthers. But I, I just think it takes away from how good Vegas was. Florida wasn't tired. Sergei Bobrovsky wasn't out of breath. He, he wasn't fatigued. He had multiple days between games. That's a lifetime for a goaltender. Florida blew it. Vegas is a better team. Right, Tim? Well, let's let's talk about your storylines. Tim is like frothing at the mouth to start talking. He wants to get in there, and I'm not letting him. But I'm going to let him know. All right, Tim. What what happened last night that you're so excited to talk about? Is it important to you to talk down to me? Like, do you is it because Ava's right there in the room and you're in dad mode that you have to like patronize me? Do you feel like this is the first time this has happened? No, it's the first time I'm calling you out. No, um, you've called me out many times on this. I just ignore when you call me out. Yeah. Well, okay. So last night, Florida was <laughs> basically never in the game. Like, I know it was close and it was two to one, I think, at one point, but. I mean, the Mark Stone goal, he had a hat trick, including the empty net. Eichel had three assists. Shea Theodore had three assists. Like Florida, most of those goals were garbage goals. The Reinhardt goals. Snipe, by the way, but obviously it didn't matter. It's almost, um, I was thinking when I was watching, it's almost it, it, like embarrassing when it's like seven to two and then they make it seven to three or eight to f- three or whatever. You know, it's like all it does, you still have no chance of winning the game. All it does is suck the energy out of the building. It's like an awkward pause after like, you know, someone scores is, and they're like, they don't celebrate. Vegas isn't worried. The fans just got a little bit quieter. The building guy, it's like a weird vibe in the building. Um, you want to talk about Marchessault winning the con Smythe? Well, I, I called it. Everybody knew it. Everybody and their brother knew Marchessault was going to get the con Smythe. He deserves it. Oh, not everyone knew. A lot of Eichel votes. A lot of Most Asian people votes. who know a lot about hockey knew it was Marchessault's trophy. Can we uh, say that? Okay. All right. People who don't just look at the box score and go, oh, Jack Eichel's got a lot of assists. He's getting a lot of points. That's good. He led the league in points in the playoffs. That's great. The most impactful player was Jonathan Marshall. The guy was scoring big goal after big goal when they needed it most in the second round, in the third round, in the Stanley Cup finals for Pete's sake. He finishes. He didn't score last game, oddly enough. When they put up nine, he didn't get one, but he scored every impactful goal in every big situation that the Vegas Golden Knights needed him. So he he got all of my votes. I didn't have any, but he got all of them. So it's good for him. What interesting little nugget that you come up with him when he won the Conn Smythe, Tim. I thought this was interesting. Yeah, he's the 10th undrafted Conn Smythe winner in NHL history, first since Wayne Gretzky in 1988. But really, he's the first because all those like asterisk undrafted, it's like WHA players and guys on protected lists like Gretzky's technically not drafted, but everyone knows he he would have been. So he's really the first undrafted player in history to win the Consumite, which is pretty special. Very special. Signed with Columbus in 2012. Unbelievable that he's undrafted. How do you really miss that? His size. Know. He's overlooked. Yeah. Not anymore. It's a new game. I guess when he got picked up in 2012, it was still a, a big man's game, right, Tim? By the way, the um, the Cole Caulfield thing that everyone thinks you hate small players now, he liked that tweet. 
with your quote. Who did? Like it? Cole Caulfield. So it's motivation. You might be on the um, on the whiteboard in the locker room next year. I didn't say he was a bad player. This is where my words. Player. This yeah. is where my words get misscrewed and taken out of context. Where I said he was a great player. I said he's fantastic. I said you can't win a Stanley Cup with just him and Nick Suzuki. You need to have size. Pull up the original tweet, Tim. What were my exact words? Because people, I think people just like to just bag on me. You know what I mean? Oh, you don't know anything. What was Um, it, Tim? They're super talented. We're talking about both him and Suzuki. But I'm just not sure how much playoff success you can expect when your two core players are this small. And he liked it. Yeah. That's pretty funny. We got to get him on the show. I know we should. He he probably doesn't want to anymore. I would love to. That's the thing. I think it'd be great to get him on. Have a nice, earnest conversation. Look, talk about how tall Kirby Doc is. Yeah. Yeah, that's the other thing the Habs fans are coming back with. With Doc and Flavkowski and uh, Anderson, some big boys on that team. But anyway. Um, they're not your top guys. That's I don't want to go down this road, <laughs> but they're not your top guys. Your top guys are usually your highest paid players, Correct. And if I'm Correct. looking at Montreal compared to these other teams, the team that just won the Stanley Cup for Pete's sake, your highest paid players are Jack Eichel and Mark Stone. How big is Jack Eichel, Tim? He's 6'2", 210 pounds. How big is Mark Stone, Tim? He is 6'3", 210 pounds. The big boys. Right? Hans Mike are- winner was like 5'9". Mark but he's, not, he's not their highest paid player. He's not their guy. He's not on their first line. Their big guys are big. So... Martin St. Louis was a great player. They don't win that Stanley Cup with Vinny LeCavier. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's fair enough. So, it's it's not fair enough. It's correct. <laughs> okay. So okay, let's let's take a bet. Okay. I'll bet everybody out there. The Habs won't win a cup with those two guys as their highest paid players. They won't. Anybody DM message us. I'll bet anything. The Cabs will not win a cup with those two guys as their highest paid players. They won't. It's impossible. Now, if they go out and they get a big centerman who can log those hard minutes and be that guy, and they do, they might because they have the space. We'll see. I would just, I would point out, and I know that they didn't win, but they went to the Stanley Cup finals and those two guys had the most points on the team their year. And they got, they ran into Avalanche who were a juggernaut, but they, they were pretty close. And those two guys were their best players. Were they the highest paid players? Uh, no. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> and they won't again. They, it will not. And that was the bubble. Everything was wackadoodle. Everybody was playing everybody else. There was a Canadian division. There's the American division. There's South. There's this and that. If that's a regular season, they lose in the first round. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Moving on. What else is fun, Tim? We got the Jonathan Marshall still good for him. Is he the greatest undrafted hockey player ever? That's the question. People are asking. The answer is no, <laughs> but he's in the conversation. Uh, what he, else? He's not. Um, Martin St. Louis has to be. Or yeah, Timmy Thomas. Adam Oates. Adam, Adam Oates, John Scott. Yeah. Hmm. Name another undrafted player to win the All-Star Game MVP. I'll, I'll wait. Okay. <laughs> There's probably a bunch. I don't know. <laughs> we should rename the podcast to two undrafted hockey guys. You and me. I wasn't drafted either. You know, yeah. kind of. There's a reason for both of that. <laughs> okay. Um, interesting quote. So Bruce Cassidy, I think all of Boston, from what I've seen online, is happy for him. He didn't do anything wrong. He um 
you know, he's probably got an unfair shake and everyone's happy to him. He says he's a good guy. Mark Stone had an interesting quote. He said he was asked about what Cassidy's impact on the team was. And Mark Stone said, quote, he brought an intensity to our locker room that maybe we needed. Now, there's there's two sides to this. First is like, okay, Vegas was missing something. In addition to the players, they were missing something from their coaches that they hadn't had. And Bruce City and Bruce Cassidy. And Bruce City. He 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 filled that need, and so like okay, good for Vegas. But there's also the side of of Boston because part of the reason, and we don't know for sure, but part of the the report was that like he lost the room, he wasn't a player's coach, he was tough on certain guys in certain situations, and basically the players, the, the management had a choice of certain players and him, and they chose the players. This doesn't make Boston look very good, you know what I mean? Like he said, like he it, Stone specifically calls out not his X's and O's but his intensity. And here's Boston with Jim Montgomery, who's brilliant with the X's and O's. And he is a player's coach. He's your neighbor next door. He's a nice guy. You want to have a beer with him. Everyone loves him. And you lose in the first round. This is, this gives credence to my, you know, line of thought of players respond to discipline. There has to be a chief in the room. There can't be, you know, everybody's all friends. There has to be a guy who is the leader in that room. And if you step outside the lines, you will get in trouble. And this just says a lot about Boston. Are they a little spoiled? Are they, you know, they don't want to put in the hard work? Do they want to do the difficult things? Do you want to get bag skated after a loss? Do you want the coach to come into the room and say, you know what? You're not going out tonight. That was not a good effort. We're we're going to stand and we're going to get after it tomorrow. You guys are going to skate a little bit because you're not playing up to my standards. And yeah, everything's great in the regular season when it's clicking. But then you play the Florida Panthers first round. Things get a little tough and uh-oh, what happens then? You don't show up. And you lose to a wild card team, Tim. The second wild card team, the eighth seed. Who went to the Stanley Cup Finals. Who went to the Stanley Cup Finals, yeah. But it just, it really doesn't paint Pasternak in a good picture. It doesn't paint even Bergeron, Krejci, all these guys. Bruce Cassidy is a darn good coach. He really is. And if you don't want him around because he doesn't make you feel good, he's too intense. That's that's bad. And good for Mark Stone for pointing that out. Hockey's not all about X's and O's. It's not all about just positioning and this and that. A lot of it is just like getting the most out of a player who you know can be better. And he walked into that room in Vegas and he's like, you guys need to be better. I'm sure he called people out and that's hard to do as a coach, especially in today's age when players hold so much sway with the management, they can get coaches fired like that. So for him to come in in his first go around, like this is his first year and say, you know what? I'm sure he did it with Eichel. I'm sure he did it with Peter Angelo, all these guys who have been there forever, high end guys. And look at, they just want to stay in the cup. And I love Mark Stone for saying this. He brought an intensity to our room that maybe we needed. Not maybe. No, you needed it. And it's great. Good for Bruce Cassidy. It's a bad look on Boston. It's it's a bad look. You have to admit as a Bruins fan, it's tough to swallow to see this guy win a cup. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm happy for him, but it's yeah, it's a bad look. It's, it really is. Do you think they made a mistake firing him? No. I mean, no. Because I don't admit mistakes or when I'm wrong, I move forward. <laughs> you said it yourself. You don't look backwards, right? Um, yeah. You learn from your mistakes, so you're supposed to. 
<laughs> oh, that's what. Okay. But if, if he comes back, Krejci doesn't come back. Right. Maybe Pasta doesn't sign the extension. So there's ramifications there. I get why they did it. But we'll see how that, you know, the trickle down effect of a, a player's coach, which is great. I've played for both types. Players' coaches are great. They're fun. You're never in trouble. Everything's, you know, peaches and rainbows and this and that. But at the end of the day, you lose. I played for hard-nosed coaches, and it's like, okay, you, you, we're going to work, and we're going to win. I don't care what you guys do. I'm going to drag you to a win. John Cooper's a player's coach, isn't he? Yep. But there's – so was Joe Quinville. There's balances. I feel like you can be a player's coach but can, have you know, rule with an iron fist. So you have to have that balance where I feel like maybe John Montgomery doesn't have that balance. Maybe he's just – everything's great all the time. And he doesn't have that power to say, no, this is my room. We're doing it my way. You're not back checking. You're not playing. Joel Quinville would sit superstars for great lengths, you know, and he would reward guys who did it the way he wanted to be done. So there's a reason Dave Boland played on the second line for the better part of a season. Cause he was a, a Q guy. And there's a reason Sharpie would get benched all the time. Same with Kaner. They didn't want to do it the hard way. So you you can straddle a fence, and good coaches know how to do that. Maybe Montgomery's not that guy. I don't know. I think he was. I thought he was. But another interesting fact, Tim, about this series, what did you dig up? You did a lot of work. I have to really applaud you on this agenda. It's it's airtight. Yeah, well, one of the knocks on, like, Edmonton, for example, is you can't win when you have so much money tied up with one player. And there had been no players who were making more than $10 million to win a Stanley Cup. And then we knew it was going to happen this year because you got Bobrovsky on one side, Eichel on the other. So someone was going to do it, and it's Jack Eichel. Um, so he's the first player to make at least $10 million to win a cup in the cap era, which is pretty cool. And also especially cool for Eichel because he he it's kind of a redemption story. He took a lot of criticism in the last couple of years for the way things happened in, in Buffalo. They missed the playoffs last year. He was not quite putting up the regular season superstar point that you thought you'd see at this point in his career. And here he is with a cup. He led the playoffs in points with 26 clutch plays, doing everything, blocking shots. He was um, he really earned that. So good for him. I think this is more of a redemption story. Yes. Great for Jack. Eichel. I was his biggest, you know, opponent. I, I tore this guy a new one. Kelly McCrimmon. This is a validation for him. The GM of the Vegas Golden Knights. Everybody questioned his trade. Everybody questioned his motives. He tinkered with this lineup left and right. He was making big trade after big trade. Robin Lehner, Marc-Andre Fleury, brand new goaltenders this year. Everybody was questioning, what are you doing? You're rolling with Laurent Brossois and Aiden Hill. What's happening? It makes him look like a genius. It really, really does. So good on Kelly McCrimmon. Good on Jack Eichel. It's it's a good story. You're right. It's a good storyline. Both those guys were questioned. And just really ripped apart by the media, myself included. I didn't rip apart Kelly McCrimmon. I thought he was running this team into the ground with the contracts he was signing, the draft picks he was giving up. But look at him now. You know, the guy he brings in who had a a terrible back. He was going to undergo a surgery that no one knew the outcome. He leads the league with 26 points in the playoffs and they win the Stanley Cup. Even if they don't win anything and they just completely go in the tank next year, which I don't think they will. Good for them. But it just begs the question, Tim. Do they win the cup without circumventing the cap? Because they are cheaters at the end of the day. When you look at their cap number on their final game, it's $96 million. Last time I checked, the cap was at 82.5. $96 million is well over the cap. If the, if the last game was played in the regular season, I know there's no cap in the playoffs, but if this game was played 
and game 82 of the regular season, their cap hit would be $96 million. They're cheaters. So does this just give credence to the fact that we reward cheaters? I don't know if cheaters is the right word because if they weren't allowed, if they weren't allowed to do it, they wouldn't be able to do it. You know what I mean? Like slavery used to be legal, Tim. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> I come back from that. Um, I think. What do you say to that, Tim? The league, does the league want to crack down on this? I think obviously Batman, this is a win for Batman expansion <laughs> team winning six years in. This is this is a feather in his cap, and 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 when we talked about like we asked on Twitter the um, who does Mark Stone hand the cup to the number one response was Gary Bettman and or the refs like they think everything was <laughs> skewed in their favor, so I I I think there's some truth to it. Um, I think it has to be a league wide thing. Either you allow it or you don't. But it's not a coincidence that all these teams teams keep doing it and winning the cup. Avalanche didn't, but Vegas uh, Lightning did twice. So. I think it's fine. I think you roll with it. Players love it because you add more money into the system. If it works for you, it's great. If it doesn't work for you, it's it's too bad. But players always want more money in the system. So it's just another little tool in a GM's toolbox. Maybe he did it on purpose. I don't know. But it it, it is a coincidence that Mark Stone just miraculously healed for game one of the playoffs. It's amazing. Like it really is. Kudos to him. And then he didn't even look like he was hurt. He came back and he was like he got buried. Remember he got buried in the first round. And I was like, oh no, his back, his back. Bounced straight up. It's like he didn't even have an injury. It's crazy. It's funny. I saw a tweet <sighs> last night that um Mark Stone hurt his back lifting the cup, expected to miss nine months. We'll be ready for the playoffs <laughs> next year. That's <laughs> <laughs> really funny. Twitter sometimes is good. That's really good. All right, Tim. You've had this on the agenda for the last couple of shows and you haven't yeah. seen what is it? It's it's our old our old standby. Hall or not. Is the player yeah. gonna make the Hall of Fame? What is I'm it? Gonna... I'm on pins and needles. I don't know what it is. I'm going to say the name first, get a gut reaction, and then I'm going to show you some stats after. So I want to hear just first immediate reaction, how or not. Play with us at home. So I wanted everybody to audibly go yay or nay. Okay, ready? Everyone? Alex Petrangelo. Oh, gut reaction. Yeah. Okay. So he's played about 950 career games with about 570 points. So he's going to close on a thousand games next season. He has a world junior championship gold trophy, gold medal. He won gold in the Olympics. He won gold in the world championship of hockey. He's a three-time all-star. And last night he won his second Stanley cup. One of which he was the captain for the knock on him is that he's never won any individual trophies. And he's never even been a Norris finalist. I know he's gotten both, but he's never been in the top three, no individual awards at all which I think is a pretty big knock. I think yes for me too. I think he probably is a Hall of Famer, but it's close. It's not an obvious one. It's funny when I, I throw it up on Twitter this morning and you get like extremes. It's like absolutely 100% lock or like no chance, stupid question. There's no in between. So I don't know. I, I think it could go either way. I think, I think, and I think it's a fair argument. You either need a third cup or you need an individual award to make it a lock. First ballot type. What do you think? Yeah, the individual award. It's much like a Marion Hosa, but at least Hosa, I believe, won a Selkie to where, you know, you can do it 
on an individual basis, but the guy is just one everywhere he's gone, you know? So, uh, gosh, I don't know. Gold medal, gold medal. He won best defenseman at the International World Championships in 2011. So there's that. But that's nice. nice. Oh, gosh. I, I still think, yes, the multiple Stanley Cups and the international success will get him across. But maybe this is just going counterintuitive to what I've always said about who cares about international stuff. My gut reaction was yes, but the more I dig into it, maybe it's a no. Let me read some of the the recent Hall of Fame um, entries as defensemen. Sergei Zubov, twenty nineteen, mm-hmm. which I think is is he's in that range. But then you get into the the next. It wasn't no defenseman for a couple of years. Then you go back to twenty fifteen. Chris Pronger, Nick Lidstrom, Rob Blake, Niedermeyer, Chelios, Mark Howe, Brian Leach. Scott Stevens, Al McInnes. He's he's not in that category. No, those are those are elite, elite first ballot Hall of Famers. He he's in the Sergey Zubov category. Zubov is better offensively. I think he doesn't get you know the the accolades as he should get. He played in Dallas for over 10 years, Tim, and he was getting 50, 55, 60 points every year. He won a Stanley Cup with Dallas. He won a gold medal with the unified team. In 1992, when it wasn't quite Russia, but it was Russia, no one knew what was going on there. Maybe it was Soviet Union, maybe it was Russia. We don't know. So I guess he didn't win any individual awards, Zubov, as well. So that would be a good comparison. But Zubov outpaces him in points by at least 200 points. The thing with Petrangelo is that he doesn't have any weaknesses either. Like he's not like if you were going to rank him in one through 10 and all the, the characteristics, he's not a 10 probably anywhere, but he's also not below a seven anywhere. Like he's probably an eight and nine, just about every category He does everything very well. Um, and I mean, you can't win a cup without a player like him. Every team that for going back 20 years has had a legit one, a defenseman and he proved it again last night. Yeah. But then you look at a guy like Jay Bowmeister, you know, he's won, he's won a Stanley cup. He's made all-star games. He's won. He was on the all-rookie team. He's never won an individual award. I think he might have won some international stuff, same as Peter Angelo, but the same type player. He's not in the Hall of Fame. Does Jay Bomeister get in? Does Dion Phaneuf get in? I feel like Peter Angelo is more on the same level as those type players, like a Ryan McDonough. He's very similar. So at what point do you go, okay, where do we draw the line here? Because if we live in Peter Angelo, then we have to talk about all these other guys. I don't know. It's it's a. I don't want to say it's a slippery slope, but it is because the Hall of Fame is reserved for the best of the best of the best. So I'm changing my vote. It is now no. Someone said you had to put Brent Seabrook in if you put him in. I don't know where that comes. Same type. I don't think Seabsy had the offensive upside as uh, Peter Angelo, but he might have. I don't know. His, I don't have his stats in front of me. But I think it's the Cup and the Olympics and the World Medal stuff there. Um. Yeah, it could go either way. And that's he was it, never the number one defenseman on his team. That's another thing right. too. He always had Duncan to kind of ride shotgun to him, and not, I don't want to say protect him, but a little bit. It's Peter Angelo has way more points. Seabsy played eleven hundred games. He got four hundred sixty-four. Where Peter Angelo's played nine hundred and fifty-two. He's got five seventy-one. So he's better offensively, you know, than Seabsy. But Brent was just a, a moose out there. He bury guys. But anyways, I, I say no. I changed my answer. You're allowed to do that. Okay. All right, moving on, Tim. What are we doing next? 
A couple of quick notes. You've already hinted at some of the injuries. So Matthew Kachuk fractured his sternum in game three. So he played all of game four with a broken sternum, which is pretty impressive. And, and Paul Maurice even said, like, he had guys helping him put the jersey on, tying his skates. He couldn't do any of that stuff. He was in so much pain. Um, and even uh, Buchikas tweeted out, like, Brady Kachuk had to help him get out of bed like the, on game day. Like, he just it's pretty impressive that he played through it and not surprising he couldn't play last night, um, given all that. And then Aaron Ekblad played with a broken foot, popped his shoulder twice, tore his oblique, and Maurice said that some of these guys are going to miss the start of next season. So it's pretty severe injuries. The question I had for you is like, I know they have different shots for different things and players are playing. Is it cortisol that they get? Cortisol. Um, so how much, like how impactful is it? Does it numb it? Does it reduce the pain? I know it reduces like swelling and inflammation. Like, have you played through that? What is, what's that like? Oh, it completely eliminates the pain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's gone. It's it's a it's a miracle drug. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you get you get the shot in the base of your spine and it just it, it's great. And it just eliminates all the pain. So yeah. It's not great. You shouldn't rely on it because then you can't feel the pain. So just say you have a broken arm or a torn oblique, you go out there and you can't feel the pain, and then all of a sudden the drug wears off and it's like, oops, okay, I made it way worse. <laughs> so it's kind of it's it's a tricky thing to deal with, but all those guys, like there was, there's probably a lineup for the trainer's room to get a shot at Toradol for sure. Okay. A couple other quick notes here. Um, since 2008, which is when Stan Coast was drafted, the only first overall pick with a Stanley Cup ring is Nathan McKinnon, which is kind of interesting. No one else has done that. And on top of that, you think of the Oilers, right? They had four of those 2010, 2011, 2012, 2015. The second overall player selected in all four of those drafts has won a cup, but the That's first funny. overall hasn't. That's so the interesting stat. It's Sagan after Hall. It's um I forget the exact order, but it's Ryan Murray after Landis Cog or after um uh Ryan Nugent Hopkins, and it's Landis Cog after um Yama uh what's his name? Yakupov. Yakupov. I might have the order flipped. And then it's um now I go after McDavid. So crazy. The Oilers should have drafted the second player every time. <laughs> Smart. That's what All it's right. that's what it's saying there. That's All what right. good GMs do. They take the second best player. Couple more. Spezza's named the assistant GM in Pittsburgh. <laughs> Step brothers. <laughs> so so bad. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. You're just jealous. I'm a little bit, but what has Spezza done in hockey? Honestly, like, you guys. Honestly. He was a great hockey player. Now he's an assistant GM for a whole organization. The Penguins have not even theoretically, they have literally handed the keys of their franchise to two 30-year-olds. Dubas is like 39. Spez is 38. I'm guessing. They might give or take a couple years. They've said, here's our organization. Go run with it. That's crazy. Dubas has not won a thing in the NHL. Not one thing. He's won one round in the playoffs. That's it. And Spezza is, is a good, good hockey player. How does how does this happen? Make it make sense for me. I know I say that a lot, but how can a, a whole organization say, "Okay, here you go"? They're they're giving the reins to Dubis, and Dubis just brings this guy with him. It's just he's building his staff. It's nothing about Spezza specifically, other than Dubis wants him, and they're buddies. It's crazy. Another situation in Philly. Friend of the show, Patrick Sharp. I knew you'd gets, love this one. Gets just a cushy job in Philly. Like, on, it's just another one of these made up titles. This is his title, everybody. 
special advisor to hockey operations. What does that mean? Hockey operations isn't a is is hockey operations a person that he's going to (laughs) advise? It's just like I'm gonna I'm gonna text him. I'm like, what do you what does this mean? What do you do? You just give advice to hockey operations, just walk through the office because hockey ops is a whole it's a whole section of people. And you're going to give advice to them all. I don't know. Another cushy job where he's going to make 250 grand and not do a thing, not do a thing. He's going to show up to the game, shake hands, kiss some babies. That's it. Good for Patrick Sharp. I would take this gig in a second, but it's just like a every year, Tim, every year it happens every year. He's I'm surprised it's in Philly, not in Chicago. I'll say that. I'm sure he would have gone to Chicago if asked. He's going to like lace him up and make the black aces feed him one timers and just, you know, he's yeah. just gonna do whatever he wants. Every team has these guys who just hang around. They played there, but it's, it's surprising. It's Philly and they didn't have someone like Mike Richards or a, you know, like a chemo team in or a pronger or a, I don't know. I didn't know Sharp. He lived in Philly. Interesting. I'll to, I'm going to shoot him a text. He's one of the guys who will text me back right away, like right away. It's interesting. What do you think like of people me? who respond too quick? Uh, how quick is too quick? Like within the hour. See, in my in my world, that's that's not that quick. You know. Yeah, that's it's, quick. <laughs> you you got to get some younger social circles, John. Well, like you don't even digest the text. You got to like think about it, put it down, walk away, and then come back to it. It's not a bad thing. I think we're too we're too connected. So anyway, all right. Couple um, new hires: Peter Laviolette with Rangers. Who cares? Five million dollars. It's a lot of money. It's just too much money. Ryan Huska, coach in Calgary. He was the assistant for five years. Players, players probably love him. He's probably a players coach. So Calgary is going to be a just a dumpster next year. He's he played one game in the NHL. There's like a special club. There's an article on Wikipedia about it of guys who have played exactly one NHL game. He's one of them. It's like 200 friend, guys. Friend of the game. show wrote a book about it. Um, Kenny Reed. Oh, that's right. Yeah. 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 He said he was going to send us a book. He didn't do it. A little stinker. Did you ever think your your one game was going to be your first game or your, your last game? Or do you no. know you were sticking around? No. I, I, I was hoping I was going to get more than one. That's kind of a, t- a tough pill to swallow playing one. <laughs> Sorry, you're done. But yeah. Anyways, that's it, everybody. We'll talk. I, we won't talk to you next week. I'm going camping. So we'll, we're going to take a week off, celebrate the big Stanley Cup win. I'm super excited about it. And we'll talk to you. Uh, in a, in a couple of days. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Dropping the Gloves with John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode.